This Wellness Coach Podcast is brought to you by our brand new Facebook group called The Wellness Couch Tribe. Come join us and chat about any episode at any time. Keep up to date with all our events and connect with a like-minded group of wellness enthusiasts. To join The Wellness Couch Tribe, simply search for The Wellness Couch Tribe on Facebook. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And it is a somber podcast that we bring to you today. We, um, for anybody who's been paying attention to the news or even social media, you guys will know that the other night we had a terror attack um, strike Christchurch in New Zealand. And right now numbers are up to 49 or 50, I believe, of um, confirmed dead and still a number still injured. And we thought that it would be rather poignant uh, to bring this podcast to you today because you know, we all have an experience of what this has meant to us. You know, Kimmy being from New Zealand and, of course, me having experienced the Bali bombing and um, survived that terror attack myself. And we have a beautiful guest on our show, Tessa Patrick, who's also from New Zealand, who put together an event um, last night for locals to come together and to mourn the deaths of those that had been taken and to reflect on the strength of New Zealand, the people um, of Australia, because obviously the perpetrator was Australian, and to really reflect on who we are as individuals, who we are as a collective and what can be possible for us when we come together and unite. And I'm going to throw over to Tessa and Kimmy initially, but there is one thing that I I, I feel very um, charged to say and, you know, the very nature of a terror attack for those that are in the middle of it. Those that are left behind, it's a very different experience for sure because you're mourning death. But for those who are in it, we imagine standing on the outside, we imagine that it's a terrifying event. But I want to say that for those that are experiencing it and that are running for their lives or fighting for their lives, Yes, there's definitely fear and there's definitely bewilderment and confusion, but what tends to occur, which the terrorists miss when they set out to um, take lives this way or to make a point, be that for religion or be that for revenge, either way, what they miss is that what comes as a result of these sorts of acts is great unity but their intention is for great divide. So the very thing that they hope for, they don't get. And for anybody that has been through anything remotely close to something like a terror attack or has been, you know, affected or touched by it, my heart goes out to you and I feel for the loss that you feel and that your lives will never be the same. And I implore and encourage each of you to lean on each other and to find comfort and support knowing that the very thing that these revolting creatures attempt, 
they don't achieve. In fact, they achieve the direct opposite and it brings us closer together. Those of us that are of a same mind brings us closer together and causes us to unite and collectively that is far more powerful and has a far greater impact and a far greater fallout and a far greater ripple effect than any strike of terror that these people think that they're, that they're creating in our hearts and our minds. It's the direct opposite. So I could swear, but I won't because I get very angry. I'm going to throw over now. <laughs> we have the beautiful, we have the beautiful Tessa Patrick on today's show. And Kimmy and Cindy went to a beautiful event last night that Tessa had put on, like I said, for people to mourn and to express and experience, um, you know, what had gone on and to really come together and, and, and talk about it because I think that that's the only way that we heal is through self-expression. So, Tessa, welcome to the show. I've just had my self-expression and my peace. Um, over to you. <laughs> Yona, Karen, um, it's, it's really lovely and I feel very humbled to um, be, a part, be a part of this conversation that we're having today and a conversation that hopefully continues for a long time and we talk about how we can create change and how we can kind of um, stop these horrific, horrific atrocities from happening um, again. So, yes, there, we organised a um, vigil at the Home Away From Home on the Sunshine Coast um, to really unite both New Zealanders and Australians, um, people from all over the world, people of Muslim faiths, um, this beautiful woman, uh, Jamila, she, she initially made an event for her family to come along and just to be together and to kind of um, share in their sorrow and, and comfort one another. And she didn't really expect it to grow to the magnitude it did, but she had so many people messaging her, um, like myself, and like many others in the community who were just wanting to help in any way they could. And so what eventuated was a couple of hundred people standing on the hill in the rain with candles, crying together, hugging complete strangers and just really sharing their sorrow and, like you said before, uniting, which was beautiful to be a part of. I think what was so poignant for all of us since Friday occurred, and I must admit, I was, I was sent the video. I can't believe I got sent the video, um, Tessa. I had no idea what it was because I hadn't heard of what had happened. So my first reaction was, oh, it's a stupid bloody video game. Um, and so I ignored it. I, didn't, I honestly didn't think it was anything more than a hideous uh, game that that people so-called play on, on air. So when I then got a text from America, a friend from America who texted me and said, I can't believe what's happened in New Zealand, only then did the truth reveal itself for me. And I'm sure like yourself and all of us today speaking, we felt very hopeless, very helpless and very um, disturbed by everything and certainly shocked, especially being a New Zealander, um, I personally felt Christchurch had taken the biggest whack uh, back in February 2011 with that natural disaster. But to then be hit with a, a man-made disaster such as this was, 
It was quite shocking to say the least. And I just wanted to say to you that when I haven't known what to do with myself and and I haven't known how to contribute or what to say or, or what to be a part of this or what even to do with myself entirely. So the weekend, I was very, um, uh, very emotional for me. I don't know why I was tearing up all the time. I couldn't actually speak to save myself. And I kept asking people what they knew. So to come to have Cindy's husband, Howard, ring me on Sunday after lunch and say there's a, there's a vigil happening in a couple of hours um, hope you're coming and could you speak? I, I I found a voice, I found a way and it gave me something to do. So I just would love to ask what your feelings were. Um, give us your age, give us your background, Tessa, as to how you came to live on the Sunshine Coast and then lead us up to, to Friday and then up to, to Sunday evening. Could you do that for us? Absolutely. So 23, nearly 24 years ago, I was born in Timaru. Um, for many listeners who aren't really familiar with the geographics of the South Island, this is about two hours south of Christchurch where all of this has unfolded in recent days. Um, and so I grew up a South Canterbury girl. The Crusaders were my rugby team. My dad and I would go every weekend. I was, I was born on the farm and Christchurch was really... And it is for many of those small communities throughout the South Island, it does become their home. So my mum and I moved there. We studied, uh, well, we didn't, sorry. I was still seven at the time. My mum studied at the university there. And so many of my family and so many of my friends who I've made when I went to high school in Nelson, when I went to university in Wellington, Christchurch for me resonates as home. It's it's a place I remember going to from as soon as my memories begin. Riding the gondola, looking at the port hills, go, going down the rivers through the city. It's everyone has I think one place that really rings true for them, um, and Christchurch is that for me. So after finishing my degree in journalism. I moved here to the Sunshine Coast. I'm lucky enough to have family, um, to live in this beautiful corner of the world. And I began a role working as a journalist at the paper. Um, in recent weeks, I've just finished up that exciting um, and whirlwind of a journey uh, to now study naturopathy and nutrition because I'm really interested in a holistic approach to life and that extends to everything from our health, from our mental well-being. Um, and yeah, that, that's, that's how I came to be where I am and how I came to be here at this time. And yeah. tell us, when you heard the news on Friday, um, how did that affect you knowing Christchurch so well? How did you feel? It didn't seem real. I think um, you mentioned the video and it was a couple of hours before I stumbled across that online and like you, I had no idea what I was watching. Um, it came up on my Facebook and it wasn't until I saw bodies hitting the floor that I just went into full panic. Um, it was about two days until we had this vigil that I felt like I could 
begin to even think about functioning normally again. Um, this is a mosque that my mum used to bike past every day on her way to university. This is street names that I know and places that I know and friends of friends who are being affected. And so I think everyone who knows New Zealand knows how much of a close-knit community it is. Um, if you don't know someone, you know someone who knows someone. And it just rocked me. There's, there's no other way to really say it. So many of us are in disbelief and I know and it's something I kind of addressed when I was speaking at the vigil that there is a climate for this kind of racism to uh, breed in the, well, not necessarily racism, this just kind of terrorism to breed in the very underbellies of New Zealand. But for so many of us, we don't see that. And that's why it was such a huge shock to so many. Um, I have friends here on the Sunshine Coast who said to me, it just goes to show if it can happen in New Zealand, it can happen anywhere. But um, hearing what people are saying from this manifesto that's been going around, um, which I have not read and I have no desire to read, that was his intention. And so I think, as Karen kind of mentioned earlier, it's, again, it's really showing how instead of, um, instead of dividing everyone, it's bringing everyone together and it's, it's brought me together. It's connected me with amazing people um, like yourselves who I'd never met before. Um, someone was talking last night saying how in the last day she's cried and laughed in the arms of strangers. And as she was saying that, there I was crying in the arms of a stranger who had really never felt more like home, if that kind of rings true in any way at all. It's... Um, it's been a really unimaginable time and I haven't even been at the centre of it. I've been on the outskirts of it and so my heart can't even imagine the pain that the Muslim communities of New Zealand and around the world are experiencing at the moment. It's, um, it's pretty unfathomable, I think. It sure is and I think... I think with the outpouring of what occurred last night has obviously happened around the country as well. Um, but the lady Jamila who organised it, a New Zealand Māori woman, she decided to put this event on again because she didn't know what to do with herself and just wanted to do it, like you say, for her family first. And it grew um, to quite a few hundred people gathering on that hill. I'm wondering, Tessa, if you could read us what you said because it was so profound and so beautiful. And I know it touched Cindy and I absolutely um, so powerfully that we both looked at each other and, and that's why, Karen, we said we need to have Tessa on the show. Would you mind reading that to us? Yes, um, absolutely. I will do that just now for you. Ko hua te keri keri te maunga. Ko rangitata tiawa, ko naitahu toku iwi, ko natihuirapa toku hapu, ko arofenua toku marai, no timaru aho, ko Roger Patrick Rawa, ko Debs Martin oku matua, ko Tessa Patrick toku inua, 
Huatikerikeri is my mountain. Rangitata is my river. Naitahu are my people. Natihuiraha are my people. Arofenua is my marae, my meeting house. I was born in Timuru. I am the daughter of Roger Patrick and Debs Martin. My name is Tessa Patrick and Christchurch was once and always will be my home. I was privileged to be able to share the city with people of all nationalities, faiths and walks of life. It's impossible to find the words to express the depths of sadness or horror at the hatred of what has unfolded in my home. I am grounded in disbelief, shell-shocked by the terror incited on a group of people, a community of New Zealanders, who in the very moment of their murder had opened their hearts to their God. I have always been so proud to come from Aotearoa, New Zealand, now more so than ever, as I see my home country unite in aroha, in love, but we're hearing echoes of this is not our country. And within every bone in my body, I want to believe these claims. Desperately, I want it to be true. And we don't want it to be, but this can be Aotearoa, New Zealand. You only have to look at our alarming statistics of violence, the accounts my Muslim friends have of their experiences growing up at the PC gone mad comments, the arguments used to use freedom of speech as a platform for hate. We even see it here in the very voices and opinions being given rise and validity through the governments of Australia. This should not be the world as we know it. But we can create change. We can call out this behavior when we see it online. We can educate our friends and families on the dangers and obscenities of casual racism. We can use our votes to rid Parliament of xenophobes like the Fraser Annings and the Pauline Hansons. Make no mistake, this hate crime was an act of terrorism that began with the same throwaway remarks and fear-mongering we see every day. We have the power to stop this terror in its tracks. Don't watch the video, don't read the manifesto, don't share or engage with this hate. Do not give these terrorists the attention they so desperately crave. We shall not use their names, their identities, but refer to them as tene tangata kahore he mana, tene wahine kahore he mana, akoine iwi kahore he mana. This man without mana, this woman without mana, and these people without mana. In Te Reo Māori, one of the many diverse languages of our people, mana is your power, your strength, your spirit. So let us not reflect on the monsters that incite this fear and pain. Let's starve them of their oxygen and their desperation for their hatred to be heard. Let's remember those who fought, those who prayed, and those who greeted their murderer at the door with peace. Use your anger to amplify Muslim voices. Donate to Muslim charities. Love your Muslim neighbours. But tonight we mourn. 
We mourn the loss of our brothers and sisters and we mourn for the families grieving back home. We mourn their loss of identity and freedom. We mourn the loss of our own innocence, a nation who has never seen and will never comprehend bloodshed of this scale. And our hearts bleed as we mourn for our whānau at home. We cry with you, and the skies are crying too. No matter your faith, you have a right to feel safe and loved in the country you call home. I would like to finish with a quote from Max Herman's Desiderata, my grandfather's favourite poem. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. Kia kaha, kia tūpato, kia ihi. Be strong, be safe, be the beam of light. Thank you. Ooh. You bring yeah. tears to our eyes. I know the three, the other two are probably crying at the other end. Um, but I didn't hear it as well. That was um, amazing, Tessa, because I didn't hear it as well. I could hear little things, but I never heard as articulately as you've just done right now. So thank you so much for being an amazing 23-year-old. I'm, I'm sure you've got a 100-year-old's mind in there. Um, but that was really well done. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to really share this because I think it's an important message that we really take action. We, we're, we're upset and we're hurting and we can, we can use that to create positive change. And I think it's coming. I really do. Yeah, I'm hoping. You know, I, I like. I've just been seeing so much happen in the world, and I know when we didn't, we didn't know it had happened. We, I've stopped watching news. I don't yeah. uh, listen to the news. I don't listen to the radio. I listen to what I want to listen to. I li- listen to podcasts. Um, I spend time with my girlfriends, um, my husband, and my family. Um, and I was at O'Reilly's. Um, you know, and the, we were going hiking for the weekend. My husband and I. And we got a text at, I think it was 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, and it was, we're with the Kiwis. We are with them. And these are South African friends of ours. We are with the Kiwis. We love them. And I can't remember exactly what. And my husband's going, what was, what's that all about? And I went, I don't know. So we actually text them and ask them. And then, then I, I got online because I'd taken myself offline and I got online and we started to read all about it. And I know my husband was just... You know, it really, really hurt by what had happened. He sees New Zealand as his home. He was born in Auckland. And he sees New Zealand as the one safe place on the planet where you can send your kids and know they're going to be okay. You know, I was hiking at 19, hitchhiking through New Zealand at 19, through Christchurch, up, you know, into all the areas around there and all the hikes that I did and the hitchhiking that I did through that whole country because my parents knew that it was safe and we feel the same when our kids go over there. We feel they're safe. Our daughter lived over there for um, three years at university. I never, ever worried about it, not once. And it's like that innocence has been taken away. Um, And then, Kim, we have, you know, a lot of listeners and one of the listeners, and I'd like Kim to read this, but one of our listeners 
You know, it, watching a male do what he did, and that's my husband, and that was an outpouring of grief, a disbelief, a loss of innocence, um, and all of those adjectives. Watching him go through this, and then Kim sending me an email from one of our listeners um, about what had um, transpired with her with a group of men. Um, Kim, do you have that with you at the moment? Yes, yes, I do. So I received this on, on Saturday around lunchtime. She said, hi, Kimmy, this awful event in New Zealand is really impacting on me as it is so many others, and I have found myself wishing that I had the wisdom to draw on that you, Karen, and Cindy have. I was wondering if you could perhaps do a podcast for those of us that are struggling to find sense in a world that can have so much hatred. I work in a male-dominated industry, and the guys that I'm with can be so challenging and hostile. They were watching the live streams and behaving in such a way that was so challenging, so disgraceful, so disrespectful, exactly what that awful shooter yesterday would have hoped for, and it really triggered me. I was so disgusted and heartbroken by the lack of empathy, the disconnectedness, and pure heartlessness. I left the room and found a quiet place and cried. Then when I got home, I bawled and then cried again before work this morning. How on earth... Do you rise above or switch off in moments of such raw emotion and distress while being challenged like that? It cuts me to the core. I did say to one of them that it was disgusting for them to be watching that video and he laughed at me saying I was just a tantrum thrower and I needed to get over it and that he's allowed to have a different opinion to mine. I know you too are, str- I know you too are struggling And I can't imagine the pain Karen must be feeling too. I hope you have your tribe around you at the moment. Big hugs. So yes, that was when I sent that to Cindy and Karen was the realisation that perhaps we that do have empathy and do feel such disgust in this had a place or a space where we we could speak about this. And as I'm sure we would all agree that whilst we know that love overcomes all, it is one of the most challenging of all things to not only deal with the tragedy at hand, but then to deal with those that are reacting to it. Now, I'd love to ask you, Karen, your thoughts on, on this text that I received and how you would help her and us. Um, you know, it's, it's a very... Um, I wish I had the right words, Kimmy. I, I, I really do. I, I wish I could sprout a fountain of um, profound healing that can take this all away. The, sad, the sadness of what's occurred, I think, is felt across every nation because, in a sense, in a sense, if you look at us all as, as, as spiritual beings, if you like, having a human experience, the reason we all feel such sadness and such shock from it is because we're all connected. And we all feel the pain and the suffering of the families that are left behind. We feel the pain and the suffering 
of, of everybody that's been involved in a, in a terrorist attack. And, you know, the saddest part that I find is that we aren't safe. We don't live in a world that is safe anymore. And the moment we think that we're safe, um, you know, obviously like New Zealand has thought that they were safe. Unfortunately, it's, it's, it's not the case. And, and the tragedy exists that our terrorist attacks of late, um, you know, have been religiously driven um, by Muslim extremists. And unfortunately, this is a revenge attack. So whether it's driven by religion or whether it's driven by revenge, I don't know what's worse. Either way, it's about the um, it's about people taking a stand for what they believe and what they believe to be true, and the fact that it's in contrary to what the rest of us think is true. Therein lies the problem. Now, I often try to look at this from more of a political point of view because I think why aren't why aren't our governments just talking to each other and finding out what these people want like what 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 are they what are the people who are religiously orientated that are that are doing that are you know creating the terrorist attacks what are the ones that are politically orientated that are causing the terrorist attacks and what are the ones that are revenge well we know the ones that are revenge we know what they want but you know what 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 do we need to do in order to bring about peace to our planet because this is the new war you know we don't need to go fighting in the trenches anymore we're doing it in our homeland and we're getting women and children and we're getting the ones that are most defenceless. I just don't think that there are enough conversations happening at a political level or even at a community level where we can make a difference. As opposed to creating separatism, we can create unity. But like I said before, I think what this does, the, the byproduct that our terrorists miss is the unity that it does actually drive in a community, in a country, and in amongst those that are of a sane mind. Um, it, it, it creates, an, it creates a, a, a spectacular unity and a spectacular oneness. Um, and, you know, I'm the person who always says everything is perfect because I have to believe that's true. But when things like this happen, I find it very difficult to, um, to reconcile how that can be perfect. But it, is, it has happened. It is a reality. And now the question is, how do those of us that are of a, a sane mind, how do we go on? How do we rebuild? How do we find strength? How do we find our own reconciliation of this? And I think that's where for each individual it's going to be different. But if we contribute to the thoughts of revenge and the emotions of revenge and the emotions of hatred, it's just creating that same collective consciousness that started this in the first place. So while I see a lot of, a lot of posts that call for forgiveness and love, I do agree that love is what's required, but forgiveness, I don't think so. These people are not asking for forgiveness. So if we need to forgive in order to find peace ourselves, then that's a different conversation and I say go for it. But these people are not asking for forgiveness because they're not sorry. They've done it very deliberately and very purposefully because they are holding true to a belief system that they have and, they, and they're willing to die for it. 
So personally, I think if we're to look at it from a big picture, I think it's about communication and I think it's got to happen on every level. It's got to happen nation, you know, globally, nationally, internationally, on a community level, community to community, religion to religion, faction to faction, individual to individual, family to family. It's the only way. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, we can, there's, there's a whole other conversation about why our political leaders don't have these conversations because there's money in it and there's money in fear and there's, you know, money in media and all of those sorts of things. So that's, that's another podcast, I think. But I think if we want things to be different, we have to take things into our own hands and, you know, create that, begin that communication, create that unity, be that love so that then these people don't have, they, 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 they don't have the wherewithal to even come up with these concepts. I mean, having said that, though, you know, we've had terrorism since God was in small pants. It's just now, or the last sort of 20 years, it's been a lot more reported. So it's always, it's always been around. It's always been something that's happened. I don't know. You can probably hear the despair in my voice. I, I, I feel a little bit... Um, I'm, I'm trying to intellectualise something that's very emotional. Mm -hmm. yeah, I and can I, hear it. And I don't, know, I don't know if that's even possible. So I have written down some thoughts, Karen and, um, and Tessa and Kim. And, you know, we talk about our governments and, you know, Tessa, you said, you know, something about the governments and... You know, I was at a women's talk, um, an international women's talk, and there was an ice attic there. And all the women were asking her the question, well, how do we stop our kids from doing this? How do we stop our kids from going into drugs? And my answer to that is that it will never, ever change the drug problem in the streets until we start to change the drug problem in our homes, which is the giving of pills at every little sniffle and every little, you know, this is coming from my point of view of being a health, con a health concern. So my belief is, is that we are never going to change the assassinations and the um, terrorism in the streets until we can start to change what's happening in our homes. And as long as there is this, and I don't know the parents of, of these people that do this, but my belief is that we have to, you know, start at the home. We can't expect our governments to make change. We would love to think that they're going to do it, but I haven't seen them do anything at this point. So it has to be one of love and forgiveness in the home as opposed to forgiving um, the white supremacist that, um, you know, killed those 50 beautiful people in um, New Zealand. What do you think about that, Tessa? I'm just putting in my ideas and what my thoughts are is that I think we need as mums and dads to become more loving and more forgiving of our children of our, and of each other. Absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And one thing um, that I've seen circling around a lot in the wake of um, what is, what's happened in Christchurch is this idea of the pyramid of white supremacy where it really begins with 
with those small comments online and how these things kind of grow within echo chambers. But if we can, if we can address those, those like budding views and those budding ideologies while they're still small, if we can talk to our neighbors, if we can talk to our friends and our families and our relatives and sit down and have a rational conversation with them where we not only express our side, but listen to theirs too, understand where their ideologies come from. Maybe we can really address the problem at its root. And this is where I think having people such as um, Fraser Anning, who in the wake of this took, uh, took it in his stride to blame the attack on the ideologies and the religion of the victims, um, which as Jacinda Arden commented um. Um, there's no other word to describe it and I can only imagine with that um, he's going to be dealt with appropriately um, but having those voices um, in positions of power and positions of influence is dangerous it, it, um, I absolutely understand that everyone will have different views different religions different beliefs on what we should be doing with our economy but if you're using your platform in the powers of the government to spread an ideology of hate, there should be no place for you in a position of leadership. Um, and that's kind of where my belief set. It's, it's been really, really incredible to sit from afar and watch how our government in New Zealand has united um, to see how the leader of the opposition uh, travelled with Jacinda down to Christchurch to meet with the victims and how no one is kind of um, blaming one another and blaming the opposition or blaming the leadership. Everyone has really come together and led with strength and led with love, which I think has been just absolutely moving to watch. I, I couldn't be prouder to be a New Zealander watching the show of leadership. And I think around the world, people are saying the same thing, which is really humbling to hear as a Kiwi myself. Yeah, I agree with you. It is, it's been beautiful to see how New Zealand has dealt with this. And as you said, you know, have conversations and be united as a community and help. You know, they say it takes a community to, to bring a child up. Um, and perhaps, you know, that's, that's where we, we need to go. What was really interesting is that on Thursday, Karen and I were working together and we were working um, um, at a person's place who works in Russia a lot. Do you remember this, Karen? So, um, Sorry, I had myself on mute. Sorry. No, that's I'm, okay. I'm, I'm going, yes, yes, I do, Cindy. <laughs> yeah, and remember what he said, how they dealt with people? Yes. Um, in Russia and because they deal with people like that in Russia this way, that Russia doesn't have this happening. Mm. And my husband and I actually spoke about it at, you know, 11 o'clock at night as we were talking about this whole thing and we actually both agreed. I told him what Alan P said and, oh, should I say that? <laughs> Alan might kill me. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, you know, what he said, what the Russian, what Putin does to people like that, I don't want to see New Zealand have to pay for that man for the rest of his life um, mm. in a jail cell. And, you know, people might be getting a little bit, oh, my gosh, Cindy, what are you saying? But 
that's how I feel. I think we have to have stiffer penalties when it's blatantly that they're the issue and that's what's happened. And I know that's violence against violence, but it's working in Russia, so why not, you know, and everyone's saying, Russia's in, you know, I can hear it, everybody now, but that's how I feel. I'm sorry, but that's how I feel. Honestly, Cindy, I don't think, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think that there's always going to be different views about how people think these things should be dealt with. But when I think of the Bali bombers, what was really interesting as, you know, um, well, I, want, I don't want to say victim, but as, as a, I don't know what other word you would use. The interesting thing is that I never had hatred for them and I never actually wanted them to die. And so when they were shot, that was actually a really big day for me where I had such disappointment in humanity. Mm. But you know what's really, what's so strange about that? I couldn't explain why. I couldn't explain why because they deserved it. For what they did, they hands down, point blank deserved it. So that I, was, I was battling mm-hmm. this contrast in my mind of what I, what I really knew and I thought, well, you, you, don't, you don't get to do what you've done and destroy the lives of so many people worldwide and get away with it. You don't. And there was a part of me that felt like, you know, the Balinese um, governments and the how well, or not how well, but how strict they are with that sort of thing and how strict they are with drug smugglers and that they just shoot them. You know, they give them 10 years to think about it and then they shoot them. If people had that as a consequence to their actions, my question is would they take their actions in the first place? You know, it's all very well for them to, you know, just in my case, it's all very well for them to send out a suicide bomber, but the people who are the orchestrators, they're sitting very safely at home with their wives and their children and the people that they love. They're not the ones out there killing themselves. So I just, I, I, I really hear what you're saying and I see the logic in it. I absolutely do. And it makes so much bloody sense to me that if we had stiffer penalties that people would be less inclined to take that option. They'd find another way to express themselves that doesn't include killing people. Do you but think they- about that? That I can't remember his name, and thank goodness I don't remember his name, but the guy that um, did that um, shooting in Port Arthur, which was one of the biggest ones that ever happened in Australia, mm. he's still at His Majesty's pleasure. You know, he's still being looked after by the Australian government. Mm. Um, we, as an Australian people, are, are feeding him. He's watching television. He's probably on the internet. You know, I don't know. I have no idea what they do in jail, but that makes me cross. Oh, I agree. And, and I, I, agree. I always thought I was a bit of a pacifist, but when the other night, when both my husband and I said there should be a death penalty on this one um, and it shouldn't be a 10-year wait, it, it maybe, you know, give him a couple of years, but then it should, you know, give him, them a couple of years to realise that that's what's going to happen to them so mm-hmm. that they at least, oh, you know, uh, Kimmy, speak up. Tessa, speak up. (laughs) Tessa, I would love to ask you a question. Um, You've lived here in Australia for a long time, or for a little time, really, I guess, considering. She's 23. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> let me reframe that. But I, I would love to ask you, um, being a New Zealander here in Australia, one of the things that I keep getting told, because I do have my Australian citizenship as well, um, I do get a couple of texts from Kiwis back home saying, Kim, can you keep those bloody Australians there? <laughs> now, it is said in jest <laughs> and it is said, um, you know, because the, obviously he wasn't a, a New Zealander. I don't think he actually deserves the title of being an Australian, to be honest. Um, he's just an evil monster that has no fixed abode, in my opinion. How have you managed the feedback from back in New Zealand and what have people been saying to you about this with being based here in Australia? I think um, there is a resounding acknowledgement from Kiwis that this man is not Australian. Um, we, on the sports field and in the streets, we all love to laugh at each other's accents and, um, and kind of have that rivalry, but it's nothing more than a sibling rivalry. At the end of the day, there couldn't be two nations closer um, who are there for each other more, who, who are so accommodating of one another. Um, I mean, there are times where I have to repronounce my words because people don't know whether my name is Tiss or Tess. Um, but it's, it's been an overwhelming sense from me as a Kiwi and from my friends who are living in New Zealand and my family that this man is not Australian. We, we don't see Australia as, a, as um, having conditioned him into being this person. And I, I think there's, there's been a real sense of unity with Australia and New Zealand. I know there's an image going around um, done by a Sunshine Coast artist of a koala hugging a Kiwi that's crying. And I feel like that and like having... Uh, the support of the community at the vigil has been more representative of the relationship between the two countries and the people of them. Have you kind of felt the same? Yeah, I really have. And I felt um, it feels very numb not being there. It feels a bit like the Christchurch disaster where you no, it doesn't feel like that at all. I, I mean, from the point of helplessness and being so far away, I think this feels at a whole nother level of complete disruption into our belief in humanity. And I think the, if there's any good to come of it, I've seen a number of quotes, you know, not all Muslims are terrorists, not all terrorists are Muslims. I think to see Jacinda Ahern dressed in the Muslim attire, she is one of the most extraordinary beings. I too feel incredibly proud of her and I wish... I would love to see more of that empathy and that amazing heart that she brings to politics here in Australia. Um, but I do believe that her showing this and her humanness and dressing as such and believing in the diversity and the compassion and the humanness and the safety of New Zealand, I also love her strength in standing behind it like she's almost, you know, ferocious like a, like a mother would be of her cubs. So I feel very, it's, it's a weird thing to go from being so shocked, hurt, upset and angry to then feeling incredibly humbled and proud. And I don't, I don't mean to offend anybody in saying that, but I hope you can, each of you understand where I'm coming from here. But to see her on the covers of magazines, you know, she was asked apparently, and I read this on, on the news, that um, she had 
uh, on, she had a call, she took a call from the United States President Donald Trump, who is 34 years older than her. And Mr. Trump asked her what the US, do, US could do to offer help. And her response apparently was sympathy and love for all Muslim communities. Apparently after he hung up, he tweeted, we love you, New Zealand, with an exclamation mark. And then there was a whole lot of, um, I, I, they called it a Twitter orgy online around his comments. Um, but I think he, uh, it's just so interesting to see a leader have such compassion rather than turn it into a political game. And I think that's probably the thing that I have taken from this is that it is possible to have human beings in a political position. <laughs> Absolutely. It's really refreshing to see, I think. Um, it's so many of my friends um, have commented that it's this new wave of politics, but it's how politics always should have been done. And hopefully from here on out, it's, it's how they will be done. So Tessa, if you were to be asked as a young 23-year-old, what would your wish be for us? You said a couple of things to me last night and it was based on online. How can we be a voice for this? What, what are your thoughts as a 23-year-old in order to either, um, I don't know if fight terrorism is the right word because that seems pretty um, strange in saying that, but how, what would be your insights as to what we could do in order to stop or prevent this happening again or how to come together as a community to get it before it gets to this point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've um, we've seen how the dangers of social media and how it gave rise to what has happened in Christchurch and what happens around the world on a daily basis um, just because of these horrific events back in my home doesn't mean um, I, I'm not acknowledging those that are happening around the world on a daily basis, but how the Western use of social media, how he live-streamed the whole attack using a platform that's readily made available to everyone, the amount of times I see friends and family on live stream, how he existed in echo chambers online with only hearing voices that agreed with his warped views of the world gave him a sense of power and a sense of perhaps that he felt like in some strange way he was right in doing what he was doing but we can also take those negative aspects of social media and use them as a positive um, we saw just at the vigil how it it's grown a community it's it's really um united people around the world but it can also be used to open those conversations with people that i worry about I've started in the past 24 hours and I'm, I have no idea how productive it'll be. But if I see someone saying something online, I'll call them out. I'll say, hey, I think you should check this because I don't know if these facts are true. Or sometimes I'll even say, hey, your casual racism showing and it's not okay. Um, I've started reporting comments. I think uh, hate speech that I believe to um, be victim blaming that I believe to be spreading fake news because we all know people are really ready to believe anything they read online. And today, because I, over the past few days, I have spent most of my time in bed and in that I have probably reported hundreds of comments 
And now I'm receiving notifications back from Facebook saying we've reviewed your report and we've decided that this goes against our community standards and we're taking it down. And so if we can get those views removed from social media, people who live in those echo chambers aren't going to be hearing as much of that hate, aren't going to be hearing as much of this encouragement of their actions and their desire and all of this horrific kind of nature. And I, I really think that it's a way that everyone can take action. It's so simple. If you see something that's inciting hate, that's, that's inciting racism or it's a xenophobic view or it's, it's just filled with hate, you can report it. It's a few clicks. You don't even have to write anything. You can just do that in Facebook are going to take it in their stride it's the same with many platforms and we can use those to really report it and that's just a little thing that everyone who uses social media can do I think it's too soon to say how how it'll work but at the very least it's holding people accountable for the hate that they feel comfortable enough to spread behind a screen if that makes any sense at all yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And um, one of the things that I would like to make comment on um, with social media is that they will censor a mummy blogger um, complaining that their, their son or their daughter is, has been vaccine injured and they're taking, they are censoring like you wouldn't believe on the vaccine issue. So we're not even allowed to have a voice there. But they'll allow a white supremacist to film what he did. Now, that to me, um, Facebook needs to be reprimanded badly for it. I don't know how we can do this, but to me, Facebook has their target on the wrong people. They need it on, on a, you know, these group of people. But then we can look at the comment that came from one of our listeners um, where the men were thinking that it was okay. So... You know, there's always going to be, as, as Karen and Kim always say to me, there's always black and white, there's anger and love. There's always on this planet, there will always be opposing forces. Um, but I just, it makes me really cross. And I actually put it on my story on my Instagram that it makes me cross that they censor mamas that are blogging and, and pleading that there's something wrong. And then they allow this to happen. It's just Facebook needs to be reprimanded big time in my way of thinking. Absolutely, absolutely. And I can only hope that after this and after seeing the hate and terror that your platform has caused in some part, that they will do something. Mm. I, th I think part of the problem with the way that we are with social media and also traditional media is that a lot of the extremists and a lot of the, um, the, the the attacks nowadays are televised and are given so much attention. And ultimately that's what they're trying to get is attention for their plight, attention for their cause, attention for their belief systems. If we stopped giving it airtime and if we stopped giving it um, any attention, I would question how they would get that. You know, I would question whether it would stop or whether it would reduce because or they would find another way to, to you know, get attention for their message, maybe protests and things like that that are more out in the open and less covert. 
Because mm. I think with social media, a person can be a keyboard warrior. They can be covert behind the scenes and nobody really knows. Mm. Um, oh, there was a huge big report done on it actually just a couple of months back about the media attention that terrorists get and, the, and, the pro- and, and it being so problematic. It's interesting. Kimmy, you've got, a, you've got a speech to read, haven't you? Oh, look, I can. I can finish off with just in line with what Tessa said last night when I was asked to, to pen a few words. You know, having watched Jacinda Ahern and watched the way New Zealand's responded to this, I guess the hard thing, what you were just talking about with the media, Karen, is, yes, we don't want to give them the airtime, but then the victims deserve to have some sort of airtime around their support, don't they? And it's, it's just a difficult one to try and comprehend how, how we can support one side and not the other. Um, but anyway, last night I was honoured to speak in front of the 300 people that we had online. Um, in light of the heinous terror attacks on Friday, I'm sure I speak on behalf of everybody here and especially those who live in New Zealand that this unprecedented act of violence has completely shocked and hurt us all. My name is Kim Morrison, a proud Kiwi living here on the Sunshine Coast. My husband, Danny, and our two children love to call this place our home. And I'm sure I speak for every Kiwi living in Australia and every one of our Australian cousins that New Zealand holds a special place in all of our hearts. The beautiful city of Christchurch was changed forever when it was struck by a natural earthquake disaster in February 2011. On Friday the 15th of March, a shocking man-made disaster altered it in the most hideous of ways and it became one of the country's most darkest days. To give it some scale and to allow for the enormity of pain incurred on the small nation, had this happened in the USA, there would have been almost 3,500 deaths and a similar number injured. For so many living in New Zealand, it is not the place they were born. Like us, it is a place they have chosen to live, somewhere they could raise their families, a place where they could feel part of a community they could love and be loved back. Many people live in New Zealand because it is considered one of the most beautiful and safest places on earth to live, a place where people are free to embrace their culture and practice their religion. New Zealand is certainly not a place where racism or extremism is condoned. It is not considered a violent or hateful country. In fact, New Zealand represents quite the opposite. Diversity, kindness, compassion. It is a place for those who share the values of all Kiwis and refuge for those who need it. As we all grapple with the grief and anger and continually seek answers, there is one thing we know for sure. New Zealand's values will not be shaken by this attack. Like Australia, it is a proud nation. It has more than 200 ethnicities and 160 languages, all of whom share common values and all of whom deserve to live without fear and the freedom to be who they are. I would like to offer our most heartfelt loving prayers and share a traditional Māori blessing to all of the families so tragically affected and to New Zealand herself. May the four winds guide you and keep you always. Stand tall, stand strong, stand together. Kia kaha, aroha nui. That was beautiful, Kim. 
Absolutely beautiful. Mm. And I think that's a really good place um, to finish. But Tessa, you are a journalist that can write amazingly and I am sure, and you have amazing opinions, I am sure our listeners would love to read some of your articles. I know I asked, can I read some of your articles? Can I read what your, your opinion pieces are? So how will they find your opinion pieces? Absolutely. Well, I am on Instagram at Tessa Patrick. And I have a new website, tessapatrick.com, which has a bit of a portfolio of my work from my time in the busy newsroom here to columns I've been asked to write and more longer form creative writing and the poetry that I really um, love to do. So if anyone's interested, you can hear some more of my thoughts and ramblings over on the website there. Mm. You're amazing. I think we've all completely fallen in love with you and mm-hmm. how freaky that such a tragedy has brought us to meeting you and the beautiful Jamila and when that haka broke out last night and the the singing, I was just, I don't know about you girls, but it, it made me cry and, and incredibly felt incredibly connected. So Tessa, thank you for being a beacon of light, a voice and also a fellow Kiwi who I felt incredibly proud of last night. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much. Your beautiful words last night and again today, they, they struck me just as heavily as they did yesterday. <laughs> beautiful. Well, for all of our listeners, this has been, like we said, a quite a somber podcast and no doubt you guys are all going to have your own thoughts and your own views and your own opinions and where you stand on this. So please head on over to our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat and please post your comments there for us. We'd love to engage in a conversation with you about this. Honestly, we seriously believe the more that we talk about this, the more that it's out in the open, the more that we're communicating with each other, the more that we can find unity and harmony. We may not all have the same stance and the same view, but when we make room for each other and we make room for each other's points of view, then we can find harmony. We're not asking for we're not asking for sameness, we're just asking for harmony. You can also head on over to all the w's.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat and post your questions and your comments right there for us. So go ahead and join us here next week on Up for a Chat, where you get to become part of the ripple effect that hopefully is going to change this beautiful world. Bye for now, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this Wellness Couch podcast. Did you know we've launched a brand new Facebook group where you can chat about any podcast you like with a tribe of like-minded people? The group is called the Wellness Couch Tribe and it's an inspirational digital meeting place to connect you to like-minded wellness lovers just like you. To locate it and come join us, simply search for the Wellness Couch Tribe wherever you enjoy Facebook. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.